Heavenly Father, open us to your word. Help us by the power of your spirit to receive in powerful, life-changing ways that on our own we would never be able to do. Lord, strip away our pride. Strip away anything that would stand in the way of truly hearing and inwardly digesting your word that we might be changed more into the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Recently, I witnessed something that has just been burned into my mind. I had taken my kids to the park, and we're over, we call it the Spiderweb Park. I've actually forgotten what the name is. It's over off of 423 near Maine. And we're over this park, and there's a a big kind of a basket-like swing almost. Um, And and it's just one swing that, that does this. And it's a It's heavy. Um, Very heavy. In fact, my daughter likes to push other kids because it's enough that she can grab a hold of this side, and as it comes up, it'll pull her up off the ground, and then she can keep it going. Um, And and we're there, and we're playing, and I'm kind of watching my kids. There's a number of parents. It was a beautiful morning, uh, a Saturday morning, and everybody's playing. and, And a couple of us notice this little girl comes walking, and she was two years old. She comes walking right in front of the swing. And that swing went up, came back, and it hit her. And I mean, it was, it was like watching a movie. She went straight up off her feet and just boom, straight down. We all just stood there for a moment like, and then she starts screaming. Other parents are running. After a while, the mom gets her Um, It had knocked out one of her tooth. There was blood just pouring. But there was one guy who was close to the situation. And he was standing there and saying to himself, I could have stopped this. He was very close. Uh, uh, The girl walked right in front of him. And he's just... I could have stopped this. I could have, like, grabbed her. I could have done something. How do you deal with guilt? How do you deal with that that feeling that I could have? Uh, But let's open it up. All the various ways that we get trapped by something, whether it is guilt Anger, um, a lack of purpose in your life, value, maybe it's feeling like you just don't have anything to give. What is it this morning that you are in bondage to? What is it that is keeping you from being truly everything God wants you to be because you're held back by it? As this guy stood there saying, I could have done something. There was a woman next to him, and she goes, there's nothing you could have done. This isn't your fault. It didn't really seem to do anything for him, though. Because here's the thing. Whatever your bondage is, 
oftentimes somebody just saying to you, it's not your fault, it's not enough. It's not enough. We, we still feel it. This guy still felt as he's standing there going, I still could have done something. I was right there. What's your bondage this morning? Last week, Jesus stood before the synagogue of Nazareth and said, I have been anointed by God. I have been set apart. I have been empowered to bring freedom, to bring release, to lift oppression. What are you being oppressed by this morning? Now, here's what we get to see. How do the Nazarenes respond? He's just offered them freedom. How do they respond? Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 21, which was our ending verse last week, our beginning verse this week. Luke 4, 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you remember last week, he read Isaiah, he sat down, and he probably taught. And he taught them this amazing truth that this is God's year of favor. That God wants to bring freedom. He wants to release people from bondage. And here's their response. And all spoke well of him. Wow, that was really good speaking. What a great speech that was. That was eloquent. He knew exactly what he was doing. That was amazing. He didn't even use notes. That was awesome. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Man, that makes us feel good. I am amazed. In fact, that word may be better, uh, better translated as amazed. I, they, echoing. Um, they are amazed at what he is saying. They're like, wow, that's so cool. God wants to bring freedom, and wow, we love that. And they have a third response. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? But wait, but aren't, aren't you the little snot-nosed kid that like we saw grow up here? Like there's, in Nazareth during this time, they guessed there's no more than about 20 homes. Like everybody knew each other. Like we know you. We watched you grow up. Like you've become an amazing speaker. Wow, but like, but you're, you're just Joseph's son. You're like one of us. Um, this is the equivalent of bless your heart. I mean, that's kind of what they just said. They went, wow, you're so good with words, and oh, bless your heart, but you're just Joseph's son. Like, you, you can't, this can't be true. We like your words, but there's no way you can bring them. I was at Target, and I had all my kids with me, and I do that a lot. I do most of the grocery shopping. And so I'm at Target, I've got all my kids with me, and I had an experience that's not unusual. 
Um, we've got one of those carts at Target that have the back part so the kids can sit on them, but I've got three, so I've usually got two kids there and one kid hanging on the side of the cart somewhere, and I'm pushing them along, and, and we're in the produce section, and they're sitting there, and I'm, I'm off just right here, and I'm looking at something, and I glance over, and there is a lady who has stopped by my cart, and she's kind of doing this, like she doesn't want to be noticed, but she's looking at these kids, and she's kind of looking around, She's looking, and she notices me, but she's still standing there. And after a while, she leans over, and she says to my daughter, hey, are you kids okay? And my daughter goes, yeah, we're fine. My dad's right there. And I wanted to go, yeah, take that. <laughs> At which point, my two-year-old fell off the cart and hit the ground. <laughs> But this is the kind of thing that I get a lot, especially from, and this is not meant to be sexist, ladies. They're always looking at me like, oh, bless your heart. Did your wife send you to the store to pick something up? Can you take care of all those kids, really? I can help you. I've been here for an hour, lady. They're still alive, barely. One just fell to the ground, but... But that, that's what Jesus is getting here. He's getting this, oh, I mean, yeah, you're, you've turned into a great speaker. We're glad for that, but you're going to bring release and healing and freedom to us? I don't think so. You're, you're Joseph's little whelp. Um, you're not the Savior. That's the response. I'm not going to go very deep with this, but I'm going to throw it out there for you. If you think about the words of Jesus, if you hear a sermon in the, on Sunday morning, or maybe you're listening on the radio, have you ever found yourself going, that guy is really good? Those words, those words really all oh, makes me feel good. But if you're being honest, you don't really believe they're going to happen. What is your actual view of who Jesus is? Now, here's his response. Keep going with me. Here's his response to them. Verse 23. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And so he looks out in the synagogue, and essentially, it's like he's reading their minds. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you what you're thinking right now about what I just said. Based off even that little comment, isn't this Joseph's son? Here's what you're thinking. Doubtless, you're going to say at some point to yourself, you're going to quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. In essence, that is. Let's see it work on you first. Prove it. Imagine the guy coming to town, and he's got the newest greatest, you know, oil that's going to heal you. And it's like the town's saying, try it on yourself first. Let's see that it works. That's what they're saying to Jesus. Prove it. Let's see that you actually are this person that can do it. And then he adds to that, uh, the rest of the verse, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum, do in your hometown as well. Capernaum is about 40 miles away. He said, we've heard you working there, there's probably some regional jealousy going on here. Uh, we've heard you work there. Let's see you do that stuff here. 
We don't think you can. But let's see you do it. Prove yourself. And then Jesus has a response for them. Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And I'm going to come back to this word acceptable in a moment. But in truth, I tell you that there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, and the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine was over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. That's a Gentile, not a Jew, not the chosen people, not the people in this synagogue right now that he's talking to. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. He comes at them with a challenge. And this is exactly what this is. This is not just informational. He's not looking back into Kings and going, here's a quick history lesson. Just want you to know, here's some things that took place. This is a challenge to them. You guys are on the cusp of being the same as the Israelites during the time of Elijah and Elisha. And this is what happened during that time. None of you, none of your kinsmen were healed. Only these Gentiles. You are on the verge of losing out on what I've come to offer. Why? Not because you don't believe in God because you don't believe in me. Here is a truth for you. If you reject the person of Christ, you will not get the promises of Christ. If you reject the person of Christ, who he is, you will not get the promises of Christ. That's what's going on here. It is about who they believe he is and how that belief brings to them the promises he has just said are going to take place. And you know what's happening in Nazareth? They are rejecting who he is. Oh, you're the son of Joseph, but not the son of God. And without that, you get the same thing that's happening back in Israel. You see, he's going to bring his promises to people. He's not going to stop. Their lack of belief will not change Jesus ministering to the lives of people. You can read later on in Mark where he goes to Nazareth again, or it might be the same account. Luke may be just pulling them together. But in Mark's account, he goes to Nazareth, and because of their unbelief, he cannot do miracles there. And what's so shocking is even Jesus says, is amazed. He is amazed at their lack of belief. But no miracles are happening there. No change, no transformation, no freedom, no bondage is being undone because they are rejecting who he is. The messenger brings the promise. And when you reject the messenger, you lose the promise. Um... I, I had to bring football into this because it's Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and actually, I wasn't planning on doing this little part, but I want to share it because I thought it was great. Um, Kathy came up to Dave, and she had her iPhone, and she showed me this little saying. It said, you should be as excited about church as you are for the Super Bowl. 
Therefore, when your pastor makes a good point, dump Gatorade over his head. And she brought it. <laughs> Apparently, I have not made a good point yet, because it's still there. <laughs> I hope that stays that way. No good points this morning. In 2007, Wade Phillips was hired as the seventh coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He would go on to have a record of 13-3 and three his first year. The best record that Dallas had since 1992. Two years after that, he would win their first playoff since 96. I mean, everything looked so good until 2010, where he would have a year, it would be one and seven, eight games in. One and seven, worst record since 89. What in the world happened? Because the team had not changed much. Romo was knocked out in like game seven, I think, of that season. But like the team had not changed much. How do you go from this 13-3, first playoff win, a lot of the same guys, to a one and seven record? This is what one commentator said, and many people at the time were saying the same thing. The Cowboys obviously didn't want to play for Wade Phillips anymore because they have completely and thoroughly given up on this season. And we watched it. I mean, if you were watching that season, the defense was atrocious, and he was in charge of the defense. And, and here's part of the reason you know that there is truth to this. One in seven, halfway through the season, same players, but without Romo, Starting in game nine, Jason Garrett, who arguably is not an amazing coach. Right? He's not winning any huge awards for the best coach in the NFL. You can't say he's even that much better, if at all, than Wade Phillips was. But the team goes five and three from that point. Without Romo, with the same defense, what is the difference when they stopped trusting in Wade, when they stopped playing for him, it changed their actions. Their belief in who this man was changed how they played. And when someone new came in that they could believe in and trust in and follow, you can see what happened. And if you really want to see what happened, just go to the Super Bowl today. Do you know last year, Wade Phillips didn't even have a job? He wasn't even in the NFL. This year, he has the number one overall defense in the NFL. And you can, player after player says things like this. When you look at Wade, he's that guy to where he's almost like a father figure. He's a guy you want to play for and pour your heart out for. His players believe in him. They trust him, and they are playing this year out of their minds because what you believe about a person will impact what you do for that person. Have you ever lost faith in a boss at your job? How did it change you? 
Have you ever lost faith in a teacher? How did it change you? Have you ever lost faith in a friend who you thought you could trust and you no longer could? How did it change your actions? We know this. How you view a person will impact how you act. It'll impact how much that person can impact you. When you don't trust somebody, how easy is it to reject whatever they say, even if it's good? When you've lost confidence in somebody, how hard is it to follow them? How we view a person determines how much we're going to get from that person. The Nazarenes have said what they view Jesus as. You are the son of Joseph. And Jesus has come back and said, if you cannot believe that I am more than that, if you cannot trust me to be who I say I am, you are never going to know the freedom that I offer. Who do you really believe Jesus is? And I'm not asking you, like, when you sit around in a Bible study or a small group and you say all the right things. I'm not even asking you what you, what you think when you're, when you're saying the creed. I hope we all believe it. I'm asking you deep down, who do you really believe he is? Is he just the son of Joseph? Is he just this distant kind of guy who had some neat things to say? Is he a pretty good teacher? Is he really the son of God? Because if he is, there's some things that he can do in our lives when we will trust that. Now, here's their response, and I want to argue something that stands in our way of receiving everything God wants to give us, including release from that bondage. Look at their response. Go back into your text. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They are seriously put out by what he has just insinuated. That God would only care about the Gentiles, that we are less than some Phoenician, some widow, that God is going to use you to go do things and we're going to be left out? We're the chosen people. How dare you, Joseph's son, no formal training, you're just a carpenter. You're going to come in here and tell us that God's not going to work in our lives because we don't believe in you? Let's show you, I'm going to show you what we think of that. They rose up, they drove him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Blasphemy is what you are doing. And we are going to show you the penalty for that. But passing through their midst, he went away. Pride. That's their response pride. Their response, I mean, here's the essence of pride. And and we all need to hear this. Pride is not always this in-your-face, 
look how good I am. Pride is not always me jumping up on the stage going, everybody, look at me. I'm the best. Because if that's pride, then most of us don't suffer from it. Pride is often more subtle. Pride is when you believe you are much better than you really are because it impacts all the things around us. Here are a couple of things. Just ask yourself if this has ever been true of you. Do you find yourself regularly pointing out everybody else's faults? That can be tied to pride. Will you not let go of a sin because, you don't say it this way, but hear it out, because your sin is somehow greater than God's forgiveness and you must do something to make it right? Pride. When you seek value based upon what you do as opposed to the God who made you and the people around you, you feel like I have to figure it out to make myself valuable. When you will not admit that you are wrong, but instead find excuses for why maybe you're not as wrong as what somebody thinks you might be, and and it comes down to this, ultimately. Here it is, the, the, the core of pride. You trust yourself more than anyone else, including God. You believe more your opinion of yourself than anyone else, including God. Pride was the wall that stood in the way of these Nazarenes. They could not hear Jesus coming at them with a truth from the scriptures. They couldn't embrace it. They couldn't see it. All they could do was react. And what happens when somebody gets you in that prideful area? What's your reaction? Defensiveness? Anger? Let me find a way out of this. Let me throw you off the brow of a hill. Okay, maybe not quite that far, but, but that's where they go. I thought this quote, this is from a Harvard professor who passed away a number of years ago. Um, and he was talking about neuroses, but he was a religious man. This is a quote from him. If the suf- sufferer is hypersensitive, resentful, he may be indicating a fear that he will not appear to advantage in competitive situations where he really wants to show his worth. If he is chronically indecisive, he is showing fear that he may do the wrong thing and be discredited. If he is over-scrupulous and self-critical, he may be endeavoring to show how praiseworthy he really is. Most neuroses are, from the point of view of religion, mixed with the sin of pride. Pride can be very subtle, but it is a massive wall that blocks us from receiving everything God wants to give to us. Where are you with pride? Here's the point of the message. You could have just walked in right now and forgotten everything else that I said. Here's the point. 
the way in which we can be set free from bondage, from those things that are holding us down, are by embracing who Jesus actually is so that his promises are real. Let me give you a couple of his promises. Let me just tell you what is true. Right? And please, listen to this not as a cliche, not as, I, yeah, I've heard these things before. They don't really mean anything. Um, there's a book that is very popular right now. Um, it's called um, How to Not Have a Bad Day, I think is the title. Uh, top seller right now. Uh, a, a lady wrote it. It's from the perspective mostly of behavioral sciences. And, and the book is tied especially to the workplace. How do you have a good day in the workplace? And she gives a number of things like um, to, uh, to avoid um, frustration. Ask yourself this question. What will this really mean in one month, in one year? This thing I'm so frustrated by. And she has a number of those things. And here's what my personal opinion on the book. I think as a initial kind of stopgap, as a helping me in that present moment, much of what she says probably has a lot of value and people are finding it. However, it doesn't actually deal with the issues. It just says, here's a different perspective in the midst of what you're going through. But you know what? It may not make a huge difference a month from now or a year from now, but it does make a huge difference right now. Like, I'm still frustrated. I understand that in a month I'm not going to care, but I care right now. And I'm going to have another one of these tomorrow and another one of these tomorrow and another one of these the next day. I can't just keep telling myself, oh, it'll be okay because it's not that important. It's not that big of a deal a month from now. How do you deal with the underlying root cause? What I'm about to tell you, it is not just like projecting yourself to be something. It's not mental mind games. It's not behavioral science. It is the truth. You have value because the God of the universe values you. You have purpose. And to be frank, it doesn't matter if you don't know what it is right now. You have it because you're a child of God and he has saved you for a reason. You have forgiveness. And it's not because of how much you beat yourself up. It's not because of the various justifications you may have had for a sin that you did. It's because the cross of Christ paid for your sin. You have it. You are forgiven. And the list goes on and on. All of the things that hold us in bondage, he has said the opposite is true of you. Guilt? No, you are forgiven. Value? No, you are valued. And can I tell you something? His putting value on you will always be higher than anything you accomplish because it's eternal. 
And the greatest thing you could do today to make other people think you're valuable pales in comparison to his value on you. Whatever you are going through right now, no matter how hard it is, it pales in comparison to eternity. And eternity is real. We are going to have it. And I'm not the one saying that. The Apostle Paul said that. And I don't care what you are going through right now. I know it is hard. And some of you, it's harder than what others are going through. Paul, go read his life. He was rejected and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and brutalized and turned everything. And Paul is the one who is saying, what is to come pales in comparison to the sufferings that we have now. But we will never embrace those truths until we fully embrace who he is because we won't trust him for them. We won't believe he can actually do them. We will say, yes, that's a neat idea out there. Yes, I can talk about this with other people, but I'm never fully going to let it change my heart until I believe he is who he says he is so that he can actually make it so. But could you imagine how free you might be if you felt like you never had to earn your value? Could you imagine how free you would be if you weren't constantly having to figure out why am I here, but you just trusted that he had a purpose for you in your life? Could you imagine how free you could be if you could actually let go of the guilt? Not because of what you did, like you just go, oh, that's not really a big deal. You may have done something really awful. But because you really are forgiven. And God does not want you to take a sin in your past and let it destroy your presence. Yes, he wants you to see your sins as a way of growing, but he also wants you to embrace the forgiveness that he truly offers. It'll never happen unless we can trust him that those things are true. Will you trust him? Here's a very small microcosm of what I mean. I know this is true. Not because I always do it. I'll be the first one to tell you I struggle with this at times. But if I go to the root cause, it's because I'm not trusting in what Christ says to me, which means ultimately I'm not trusting who he is. How many of you believe that God can do anything? Just raise your hand. God can do anything. I'm not saying he will, just he can. And yet we don't trust him when he says these things are true of you which means somewhere deep down we're really wrestling with who we think he is. Now, some days I believe it and some days I struggle with it, but let me give you a small example of how powerful this is. At the park that day, that guy going, I could have done something, that was me. That little girl, I I saw it. I saw the trajectory of her walking toward it. Here's some things that went through my head. She's going to turn away. I don't know that I can touch another person's child. I mean, in today's world, I'm not sure if I could actually grab her. I mean, we're like a public place, and I'm a male, and this is a little girl. I mean, just all, it all kind of very quickly 
going through my head. All of these things. And then, boom, it happened before I could even respond. Um, and there, there was a moment of even kind of slow motion. And I just sat there going, oh, my goodness. All I had to do was take a step forward and pull her. And there really was a mom next to me who said, hey, it's, it's not your fault. You couldn't have done anything. And it just didn't mean that much to me. I wanted to believe that, but I don't really trust her. And so I just kept feeling it. Over on the park bench, the mom is holding the baby with a big old cloth, maybe it's like a t-shirt actually, like holding the blood. Her friend is going, you need to get the baby to an emergency room or something. And I walked up and said, I am so sorry. I, I, could, have, I could have grabbed her. I am so sorry. And I am convinced this lady was a Christian. Because of the words she said, they were Christian words. They were not your, that's okay, or it's all right. She said, I forgive you. And it completely changed the whole situation. I still felt awful. But instead of going, oh, golly, I could have stopped this, I could have stopped this, the rest of the time at the park, I was protecting kids from this swing. <laughs> I don't think I left that swing. Um, and it wasn't out of some like, oh, what can I? No, it was action. Because that was the mom, and I believed her. I believed those words, and they changed me. There was a release that happened in me that allowed me to step forward and actually do something productive. This really does work because it is God's word. And when you can embrace who Jesus is and thereby embrace what he says is true, of who you are, of what he has done, of what he has for you, it can release you from the bondage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to know freedom in Christ. We want to know what it means when Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Lord, help us to know that freedom by knowing your son. By really, really, at a gut, heart, and mind level, trusting him even more than we trust ourselves. Lord, help us to know freedom that we might serve you freely and fully for the sake of your kingdom and your love and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.